I think people were more shocked um, to see the, the kind of outfits I wore and to have the long nails. They were more curious about how I would be able to perform. Um, someone made a comment in the paper years ago that, well, she won't be able to run fast with fingernails that long and her hair that way and the, those outfits. But I just wanted to tell them that it doesn't matter what you wear. It's what you believe that you can do. In 1988, Florence Griffith Joyner, known throughout the track and field world as Flojo, settled into the blocks in lane five for the first race of the quarterfinals at the U.S. Olympic Trials in Indianapolis. Already an Olympic medalist, she took home the silver medal in the 200 meters in Los Angeles in 1984, Joyner had taken an incredible leap forward with some eye-popping times of late. She'd recently married Olympic triple jump champion Al Joyner in 1987, who stepped in to help coaching her along with Bob Kersey, who was the coach and husband of fellow Olympian Jackie Joyner Kersey. To this point, the 200 meters was considered her stronger event, as it was the one she earned her medal in back in 94, and had her ranked second in Track and Field News' 1987 world rankings. But she was starting to make a name for herself in the 100 meters, posting several sub-11 second times in the lead-up to the Olympic trials, including her personal best of 10.89 seconds in San Diego just a month earlier. Despite all the improvements, Flojo still remained well behind American sprinter and 100-meter gold medalist in the 1984 games Evelyn Ashford, whose record of 10.76 seconds still stood. And then this happened. Which is uh, faster than the world record of 10.76 held by Evelyn Ashford. Fastest that any woman has ever run. Of course, the win will mean that it won't count, but this has been a great year for her. She was a medalist in 84 at 200 meters, but now she's moved down to 100, and she's one of the top contenders. Gail Devers is in lane four. Lane one is open. And quickly, Lawrence Griffith Joyner blowing away the field in a 10.49. 10.49 seconds. The number has become almost magical in the world of track and field. And it truly was an absolutely stunning achievement, even though track purists are always quick to note that there was a significant tailwind that day. When you watch the video, it just looks like utter domination. This is the shortest distance race in the sport, and an event that usually comes down to a photo finish for even the best athletes. But there's so much daylight between Flo and the rest of the field. There's really nothing close to it in the sporting world, unless you maybe count Secretariat's win at the Belmont Stakes in 1973 to win the Triple Crown by 25 lengths. And to further cement her status as the GOAT, Flojo turned in an American record of 21.77 seconds in the 200 meters at the very same Olympic trials. The 100 meter record was by far the largest improvement in the world record time since the advent of electric timing, and it still stands today. And Flojo went on to dominate the 1988 games in Seoul, taking home three gold medals in the 100 meters, 200 meters, and four by 100 meter relay, and setting a new world record in the 200 meters at 21.34 seconds. Her utter domination of the sport also brought increased scrutiny and speculation about whether Flojo's records were aided by performance-enhancing drugs. This, after all, was the Olympics that saw Ben Johnson disqualified after breaking his own world record in the 100 meters. But unlike Johnson, Flojo was never stripped of any medals, and her icon status remains largely intact to this day but her feats on the track really only scratched the surface of her impact on broader culture. Flojo was an absolute style icon, famously wearing her long flowing hair down in the races, rocking long nails with brightly colored manicures, and wearing unorthodox outfits like her famous one-legged racing bodysuit. 
At the time, the looks created some controversy from the more conservative traditionalists in the sport who thought all the flash and self-promotion was unbecoming or somehow emblematic of cultural decay. Now, those quaint old arguments feel ridiculous. Usain Bolt striking dramatic poses after his races is part of what makes track and field relevant and fun for fans, and most great athletes who now benefit from the transformation of individual Olympic sports into mass entertainment recognize that it was Flojo who basically started it all. Even Serena Williams wore a one-legged catsuit at the Australian Open in 2021 as a nod to the great Flojo, saying, watching her fashion, just always changing her outfits, was amazing. But on September 21st, 1998, just a decade after the peak of her athletic accomplishments, Florence Griffith Joyner died in her sleep at her home in Mission Viejo, California. She was just 38 years old. I'm Derek Kaufman. I'm Jason Beckerman. And this is Last Days, Florence Griffith Joyner. According to the Orange County Coroner's Office, Griffith Joyner died from suffocation in her bed after suffering an epileptic seizure. On the day of her death, her husband, Al Joyner, called paramedics from their home around 6.30 a.m. and reported that Griffith Joyner was not breathing, telling first responders that he'd last checked on her at 1 a.m. and found her sleeping in bed. He spoke about the moment he discovered her years later during an interview with Oprah. I walked in the room and I just felt something, and then, then I went to touch her and I just screamed. Mm-hmm. And I turned over. And, you know, she had this look in her eyes, and uh, and I knew my wife was gone, and I just told Mary to go downstairs, and she ran downstairs. And at that moment, that moment, I wanted to try to catch Florence. And then Mary came up and said, Daddy, what's wrong with Mommy? And that's the part that, that I said, I couldn't be selfish, and I looked at her. It's interesting, Derek, immediately following the news, given all that had happened in 1988 with the Ben Johnson, the steroid scandals, and the rumors that had been swirling about her, in the immediate wake of her death, rumors swirled that she, too, had suffered heart problems or was dealing with serious health issues as a result of using performance-enhancing drugs during her career. There's obviously an entire body of medical literature devoted to studies about the long-term health consequences of steroids and human growth hormone, the use and abuse of which was certainly rampant during Flojo's period of Olympic dominance. Anabolic steroids can cause irreversible heart, liver, and kidney damage, and HGH is known to cause complications such as heart disease, diabetes, and even fatal blood clots. And even though her medals had never been stripped, like Ben Johnson and others, Flojo never fully escaped the cloud of suspicion during her life, which we'll talk about more in a minute. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. This was the height of the steroid era, and for someone to die at 38 years old who was an Olympic phenomenal athlete, I mean, she was still a very young woman, it was bound to happen that people were going to speculate about this. Flojo had that cloud over her. It's the reduction in the world record time by a half second. It was the way that between 84, when she won a silver medal in 200, and 88, when she didn't just win three golds, she dominated the field like no one ever had in the history of women's track and field. Obviously, rumors come up, but we'll talk about it. They may not be justified. Absolutely. So the coroner made two significant findings in the official autopsy report. First, Griffith Joyner suffered from a congenital brain abnormality known as cavernous angioma, which is a condition where the capillaries in your brain are too tightly packed and blood essentially accumulates in your brain. The condition is somewhat rare. It's found in just 0.25% of the population, but has been detected more in recent years with advances in CAT scan technology. The vast majority of people with the condition live without any problems. Only around 10 to 15% of people with it suffer from seizures, 
it's important to note that the abnormality has never been linked to steroids or other drugs. This is a congenital abnormality, which means it's a, basically a birth defect. So, something something you, you're born with, right. Something so, you are born so not with. related to steroids. That's yeah. right. A family attorney noted that Griffith Joyner had suffered a, quote, tonic-clonic seizure back in 1990. This is the technical term for what is called a grand mal seizure, which is commonly associated with epilepsy. And she'd actually been treated for seizures back in 1993-94. She'd also been briefly hospitalized after suffering a seizure in 1996 during a flight from Los Angeles to St. Louis. But her brother at the time said this was the result of some stress. So she did have a history of seizures. She was known to have a condition that caused seizures. And really what happened that night uh, when she fell asleep and never woke up was really a tragic accident. According to Dr. Richard Fukumoto, the condition may have led to a violent seizure striking Griffith Joyner while she slept, causing her limbs to tense and possibly leading her to wrench her head to the side as she was lying on her stomach. This involuntary movement of her head ended up with her smothering herself in her own pillow. The term used in the medical literature is called positional asphyxia, and it essentially means that the pillows and the blankets blocked her access to oxygen and she was not able to remove herself from suffocating to death. Second, the coroner also revealed the results of the tox report, which showed only two drugs in Griffith Joyner's system at the time of her death, acetaminophen, Tylenol, and Benadryl, an antihistamine sometimes used for allergies or as a mild sedative. Al Joyner, who'd fought against steroid allegations for many years on his wife's behalf, took some solace in the results and hoped they would quell the steroid rumors once and for all. My wife now has finally took the ultimate drug test. Let her rest in peace. The president of the International Amateur Athletic Federation, Primo Nobiello, echoed the sentiment, saying, quote, This report ensures that Florence Griffith Joyner will be able to rest in peace. Her family have had to endure irresponsible media reports that have sought to tarnish her reputation without any real proof. These campaigns of misinformation serve not only to damage individual athletes and our sport as a whole, but also have a negative impact on the multi-million dollar anti-doping campaign to which the IAAF has been committed for many years. We'll go ahead and take a quick ad break and we'll be right back. If you're shopping while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast, then you know and love the thrill of the hunt. But are you getting the thrill of the best deals? Rakuten shoppers do. They get the brands they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Macy's, Adidas, and Walmart, and even stack sales on top of cash back. It's easy to use, and you get your cash back through PayPal or check. The idea is simple. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back. So download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's Rakuten. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Jason, look, the hope was after the tox report came out and the explanation of her suffering the seizure in bed that caused her suffocation, they thought the steroid rumors would go away. That's not what happened at all with Flojo. This controversy raged on. And I think it largely goes back, as we'll talk about in a second, just the fact that the records are hard to fathom, right? We saw this with Barry Bonds a little bit, too. He eventually did test, but it's 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 very difficult to reconcile the records that she was setting in the steroid era with somebody who allegedly never took steroids or purportedly never took steroids. Flojo is obviously a controversial figure in the world of track and field, simultaneously beloved for raising the profile of the sport with her outlandish fashion choices and long nails. 
but also heavily criticized for setting in impossible standards with her world records in the 100 and 200 meter races that many believe could only have been achieved through PEDs. Former 200-meter Olympic champion Gwen Torrance said she didn't even acknowledge Flojo's records, remarking to CNN in 2012 that, quote, to me, they don't exist, and women sprinters are suffering as a result of what she did to the times in the 100 and 200. Ben Johnson, the disgraced Canadian Olympic sprinter who we've talked about, who became a poster child for PEDs in the sport following his disqualification in the 1988 Olympics, has expressed disbelief over Griffith Joyner's dramatic improvement in such a short period of time. But when you look at it, what is the evidence that people are pointing to in questioning Flojo's records? It turns out it's all largely circumstantial and speculative. Let's let's break them down a bit. We'll start with the improved times. Flojo improved her time in the 100 meters from 10.96 seconds in 1987 to 10.49 seconds in 1988. An improvement of 0.47 seconds in such a short race is just simply a remarkable feat. I have to tell you, it's hard to look at that for me, and I'm trying to be as, as sort objective of as objective possible. as possible. Yeah. It's hard for me to look at that and say, this is someone who did it cleanly. We've just seen too much of this in sport, right? Through baseball, certainly through the 90s. We saw this where records were being demolished, not by, you know, nips and tucks here, not by a home run or two, but by... 20 home runs, you know, the greatest hitters of all time uh, were just being decimated their records by, by these new guys who clearly weren't the hitters that they were. We saw what the numbers did statistically in baseball, and you're seeing the same thing here. And I think this is what Gwen Torrance and others are reacting to. How can we possibly compare ourselves to, to Flojo when, you know, her records don't really measure up? They don't make up. sense, they don't they make sense for a human being to run that fast. We know how fast human beings run. They seem very, very anomalous. Yeah. And like I said, these are fractions of a second, but 0.47 seconds in the 100 meters, this is a race that often comes down to the second decimal point, the yeah. hundredths of a second. You're talking about whittling away at records. 9.58, I think, is Usain Bolt's record. It stood, it was in the 9.6s and 9.7s. Yeah. I mean, moving by a tenth of a, of a second in 100 meters is massive. Moving by nearly half a second in a year and the record in the record still is up it's 35 years later almost to the day it, it, it you know it it, it's, it's a long time for a record to hold up but it either says that she was absolutely dominant yes. and, and a single and a singular talent or it points to peds now she also improved her 200 meter time from 21.96 seconds in 1987 to 21.34 seconds in 1988 that's a 0.62 second improvement that has basically put the record out of reach but recall that the world record she set in the 100 meters was wind-assisted, and everyone also points this out. And the outcome in many short races is heavily dependent on reaction time to the starting gun and to wind-assisted uh, times. So both may have been a factor. Look, she could have gotten out of the blocks perfectly. When that gun fires, your reaction time to the gun and having a tailwind mm -hmm. can also make for some record low time. So it's a bit unfair to just jump to the conclusion that PEDs were what caused this. Right. I want to talk about the second big sort of elephant in the room with with uh, Flojo is muscular physique. Her, her body was noticeably more muscular in 1988 than earlier in her career. And there's a lot of photographic evidence for this. But many athletes age into different bodies. Remember, Flojo was 27 years old at the time she broke these records. And it's not unheard of to add some mass as a result of committing yourself to a particular diet or exercise regimen or generally just getting older, right? You, you, we always say with athletes in the NBA, this skinny kid comes in and they fill out. Yeah. They hit the weight room. They get on nutrition regimens. 
Griffith Joyner said that her new physique came from a new health program. She was adamant about that. Remember, her new husband, Al Joyner, replaced Bob Kersey and implemented a training program that focused more on lower body strength. I mean, she was doing more squats and things like that and lunges. And that could explain some of the different appearance that she had. Now, I see Jason looking at me skeptically, but it could result in a different focus on different muscles. And that could be a that that could be what accounts for the difference in her appearance. I think you're reading me right. I have skepticism. Yeah. I, obviously, the facts are what they are. And in, importantly, the de- her death was not related to steroid use. And that was when she died at 38, to your point. Immediately, everybody thought that because we were seeing that more and more. It happened later to Ken Caminiti and some others, people right. who admitted to steroids use, who died very, very young. And we know there's a link between, as you pointed out, between steroid use and a, lo- a lot of conditions that do cause early death. But her death was completely unrelated to that. It was a congenital defect that she suffered from that eventually took her life very sadly in this incredibly tragic moment that didn't need to happen. It's, it seems bizarre. But nevertheless, it was unrelated to her death. So what we're really talking about here is she just got better. Yeah. Quickly. So you can explain away the muscular physique. You can maybe explain the improved times. But there are other pieces of evidence that people point to, which Jason is going to get to now. So perhaps the most troubling link to steroids came from a story spread by a man by the name of Darrell Robinson, who was a former teammate of Griffith Joyner's and claimed he sold her 10 milliliters of human growth hormone for $2,000 in 1988. Robinson claimed Griffith Joyner told him, quote, if you want to make $1 million, you've got to invest some thousands. He also claimed he once saw Carl Lewis inject himself with testosterone. Robinson never provided any hard evidence for his allegations, and Griffith Joyner ultimately retired from competitive track and field a year before the introduction of mandatory random drug testing in 1989. It's also important to note that Griffith Joyner was repeatedly tested during competition and never failed the drug test during an age when many others did fail those drug tests. Following her death, Prince Alexander de Marode, chairman of the International Olympic Committee's Medical Commission, said Griffith Joyner had in fact been singled out for extra rigorous testing during the 1988 Olympic Games, and nothing was ever found in her system that violated any rules. De Marode said, quote, we performed all possible and imaginable analysis on her. We never found anything. There should be not the slightest suspicion. Now, I think this is important. Look, Darrell Robinson is an important figure in this whole story, but he's not one with a lot of credibility. And and he did make these allegations. He's made them about Carl Lewis. He made them about Flo Jo. But the fact remains, and I think you have to take into account, that she was tested a lot. When she was leading into the 1988 game, she had already broken that record. That 10.49 was at the Olympic trials. So she was a figure who was focused on by all of the Olympic committees as someone we need to watch out for. She's putting up some pretty crazy times. So they say she was rigorously tested. The people who were tested and failed, like Ben Johnson, were discarded. Their medals were stripped from them. So it's not as if they were pulling punches to just get ratings and have records broken. And I end up at the end of the day thinking maybe she was just singularly yeah. talented. Yeah. I, I, that's kind of where I fall on. Flo so Joe. there's two two possibilities: she either singularly talented or had which masking agents came, were, became ubiquitous later, where athletes and doctors learned how to mask the use of steroids, anabolic steroids. Maybe they were ahead of their time in that way. It's possible. Right? It's possible. And look, it's fair to speculate about the role of PEDs in Griffith Joyner's career. And it'll continue, despite the fact that there's really zero hard evidence to back it up, like a failed drug test with Ben Johnson. We know what he did, and he was kicked out. In my mind, she's largely a victim of peaking during a time when PED usage was rampant. And her incredible feats on the track make it far too tempting to not at least wonder if some of these achievements, which still stand as records, are possible at all without chemical enhancements. 
it also strikes me though as a testament to her greatness as i said it's just unfathomable to think about a woman running 10.49 seconds i mean we were talking about this before we came in here that's longer than the length of a football field in under 11 seconds it's just an impossible thing to wrap your head around but she did it and she did it as far as hard evidence shows she did it cleanly but I'd like to believe that Flo Jo's legacy hasn't been entirely tainted by this cloud of suspicion over PEDs. And indeed, her popularity after the 1988 games, in combination with her larger-than-life persona with the bold fashion choices, propelled her to the status of a cultural icon. In April 1988, she started to wear the iconic one-legger running suit, which I mentioned earlier. And her brightly colored outfits, they were lime green, purple, and even ones embellished with lightning bolts that she designed herself, quickly transformed the sport. Now, it's common to see Usain Bolt, as I mentioned, in these eye-catching outfits meant to intimidate opponents and show bravado before even the starting gun is fired. But that started with Flojo. I I can't emphasize that enough. It used to be a sport that you were pretty staid and conservative. You wore the same looking outfits and it was just about running the race. She blew that all up. Well, and Serena properly paid homage to her, right? Because Serena obviously has changed tennis fashion forever. Before, talk about a staid sport with staid fashion. Serena came along and blew that out of the water. You have other people, uh, um, Simone Biles as well, right? Changed up gymnastics with what she would wear. She had the embroidered goat on on her leotard the whole thing. So I think a lot of that is uh, due to Flo Jo's choices. And of course, Jason, the heir apparent in track and field these days is Shakari Richardson, who is outspoken, wears the brightly colored outfits. She really stands in the lineage of Flojo. And old fuddy-duddies will say, this is bad for sports. It should be about I don't think anybody it. says anything. But, but, you know, it sounds quaint and old-fashioned, right, you right. know? Uh, the nails. We ought to talk about the nails. At the Olympic trials in 1988, she had four-inch nails with tiger stripes on them. And then went even further. She had six inch nails painted red, white, and blue and gold for the actual Olympic Games. And I remember these things because you just never seen anything like it. That's a long nail to go out to a club. This was in the middle of a sprinting race and these things were massive. Yep. And she was running blazingly fast speeds in these athletic outfits with these absurdly long nails. She also kept her hair long and flowing. She was she was just glamorous. Uh, she maintained this largely feminine appearance while putting up times that would beat many, many men in the sport. Griffith Joyner was able to parlay her success in the Olympics and signature look into endorsement deals and guest spots on popular television shows. She inked a deal with a toy maker, LJN Toys, to produce a Barbie-like figurine of her likeness, complete with nail decals and an epic 80s jingle. She can fly like the wind, she can really go. She's fashion with a dash on flash. She's my one and only Flojo. I love to comb her hair. I love her pretty smile. I love to put her wild nails on. Flojo's really got style. Fine, Scuffin' and Johnny, you've got style. Flojo, my one and only Flojo. The Flojo doll comes with one outfit in Flojo nail decals. I love that commercial. It's so 80s and it shows how big she was. I mean, there was nothing bigger than Barbies at the time and Flojo had her own doll and and little girls would buy it. Um, And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention this. She popped up in a cameo role on one of my favorite shows of the 80s, 227. Florence Griffith Joyner! Grandma, I'll call you right back. Well, come in! Come in! Hi, I'm looking for Willie Amati. I can't believe it! Flojo. Yes, that's my name. I mean, she was like Michael Jordan back then. So (laughs) it was, honestly, I I try to convey to people how big she was. That was one of my favorite shows. Can we go back to 227 being one of your favorite shows of the 80s? Love 227. I really do. All right. 
Perhaps more importantly, she's remained an enormous figure in track and field and left an indelible impact on the sporting world writ large. She was inducted into the USA Track and Field Hall of Fame in 1995, an honor she was able to enjoy before her death. She was named Time Magazine's Woman of the Year in 1988 and remained on the 2020 list of Time's most influential women of the past century. The loss of Flojo at such a young age really robbed the world of a living Olympic legend whose achievements remain unrivaled to this day, but also just made the world a less colorful and exciting place. It's easy to imagine Flojo offering commentary at each Olympics, bringing her verve and style to what can sometimes feel like overly self-serious spectacle. Johnny Weir has been able to do some of this in the world of figure skating, and I think Flojo could have brought the same to the world of track and field. And it's a shame that the memory of her accomplishments is being lost to time with each passing year. So I thought it only fitting to give the final word to her daughter and husband, who spoke about how Griffith Joyner still remains a presence in their lives. Very colorful. And didn't she have a thing where the number 1049? That was her world record time. That was 1049. It's like her saying hello to us to this day. Every time, for some reason, I may be looking up or looking down and then look up. It is 1049. And I always say, hi, hi, honey. And it shows up in your life all the time, right? Every day. 1049. 1049, not 1050, not 1048, 1049. Yeah. It's your mom saying hi. Yeah. Mm. 